Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? We are going into a series on classroom design, and I am so excited because design elements in terms of how it impacts stress and productivity and attention in the brain is my jam. I love this. So I'm going to break it up into a couple of sessions because there's way too much information to share in one session, but today we are going to talk about how sound impacts designing a space. So there's a study done by Cornell University, and this was, I think this is what got me most engaged in this and what we got me most excited because I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Also, I can totally relate. So Cornell evidenced that students in a noise-polluted environment do not learn as well as those in a quiet neighborhood. Makes sense. And there are tons of other studies showing the link between noise and learning uh, that gives specific numbers around reading and writing and all these things. And I'm like, okay, th- this makes sense to me because your body, your brain is always attuned to the things around you, sensory input, sounds being one of them. And in the city, you've got so many sounds, not only so many sounds, but like loud sounds or sharp sounds or sounds that are just so foreign to how we were developed biologically. So your brain processes all that information. It takes energy takes energy away from you. It often takes sleep away from you because some of those things happen at night. And then you wake up the next day and you're exhausted because you've used so much energy to process all of these foreign sounds. Not only that, but if you're, if you're in education, being in or around a loud environment requires you to speak louder. And that is going to cause some serious vocal fatigue, which we all know early in the school year, you get that anyhow, because your voice isn't used to talking so much. I know when I speak for long periods of time or when I speak back to back, I always lose my voice. So sound is hugely impactful to how we function. And that means whether it's a classroom, whether it's a home, whether it's a workspace, whether it's your job, if you're an adult or you're a child, it doesn't matter. It impacts you. Think about this. Biologically speaking, sounds that we didn't hear back in those hunter-gatherer days like the hum of artificial lights, heating and cooling systems, car horns, sirens, (laughs) they trigger our internal stress response to become activated. So for those of you who've been here with me for a while, I talk a lot about the barking dog and the wise owl. Makes the dog bark, maybe not aggressively, but it makes the dog bark a little bit. And it might not be very noticeable to you. You might not recognize that it's making your dog bark but that micro stressor is going to prevent your brain, kids' brains, our brains from fully focusing on the task at hand. All right, so let's talk about what what types of sounds. So you've got kind of these like reverberation sounds 
And um, those might be things from maybe within the classroom or they could be um, things, noise that's bouncing off of things like reverb is, is bouncing off of. So think of like hmm, whispers or, or even just kids talking or uh, it could be chairs and desks moving that bouncing off the walls or heating and cooling systems or those fluorescent lights. If it's not reverberation, it might be airborne sounds. And airborne sounds are maybe those things from outside the classroom. Like if you're in a rural setting, it might be the lawnmower. Uh, it might be conversations in the hallway. It could be, you can hear things through windows or walls of, of another classroom. Um, but it completely diverts a, a kid's attention from what's happening in class. Here, here's a great example. <laughs> there was this like four-year-old in a pre-K setting and the teacher kept getting so frustrated because every time the printer in the hallway, massive printer would go off, the child would run over and he'd get really excited. He wanted to see what was coming out of there. And that sound really distracted him from whatever he was doing, but he was so attuned to that sound. Airborne noise. And then you've got impact noise. So that is something that might come from the impact of something like moving a desk or moving a chair, uh, dragging feet, uh, heavy footsteps. Um, it could even be something that falls to the floor. So, so, so all of these things can't necessarily be prevented, uh, but they all exist and something to consider. But we can prevent some of them. And even if we can't prevent them, we can reduce the impact of them. But why in the world does all of this matter? Well, we only have so much mental capacity a day. And if your energy and mental capacity is spent <laughs> trying to organize sounds, then it cannot be spent learning, listening, reten reten <laughs> retention, uh, keeping information, storing information, all of those things that we want to be able to do. You will not be able to fully focus. Okay. So there's a lot of science information, a lot of awesome information though. Just again, so fascinating to me. And I can honestly say, that I love the city and it didn't dawn on me until probably a couple of years ago. And I connected it that I grew up in a very chaotic environment. It wasn't necessarily loud in terms of sound. It was chaotic. It was stressful. And that became the norm for me when I was not in chaotic settings. I felt uncomfortable. I felt, I felt anxious. So I naturally gravitate toward more chaotic settings, i.e. cities in particular in Baltimore city, which is extremely chaotic. And after living in the city for a while, I realized how much it was draining me. And I was like, why am I always so exhausted? I'm doing the same things or I'm doing lots of self-care practices. And it, it, it dawned on me that my body is using so much energy to deal with all the sounds. Like I lived across from a fire station, um, always people outside yelling and screaming, always car horns, you know, always living in buildings where there are multiple people. And all of those things are waking me up at night and are making me hypervigilant and just draining my energy. And I realized that when I would go for hikes or when I would stay in nature or I'd stay in the suburbs, or I would just stay somewhere that was outside the city that I felt so much more calm and relaxed and energized. And although I love the energy of the city and it certainly has its benefits, I'm realizing how my body in particular probably needs at least more time in nature, potentially not even living in a city. I want to be close to a city, but I probably shouldn't live in one because that yin and yang, that balance, I've always lived in chaos. I've always been around chaos. I always in, in that agitated, stressed out, hypervigilant state and living in that type of environment isn't helping me to balance. It's only making things worse. So just something to think about. 
Okay. So what can we do? A couple things. You could soundproof doors and walls and floors if possible. Um, so a couple of different things that you could do there. I mean, you could get like one of those strips that go across the bottom of the door. You could make one to keep the sound out of the door if, if possible. The other thing that you could do is you could really try and like filter that sound or keep things in the room to soak up the sound. So things like water, sources of water, whether like buckets of water or little like fountains or water tables or sensory tables that have water in them, they all soak up sound. Water soaks up sound, as does some of those musical related. Like if you walk into a music room, you'll see the foam pieces on the wall to soak in the sounds to prevent sound from spraying across the whole building. You could do the same thing in your uh, space, putting maybe foam things under chairs or under desks or on the walls or wherever they are, but they soak up sounds. And my personal favorite, I really love plants because the soil of plants really soaks up sounds and plants purify the air. So pretty awesome ideas there. Um, doors, we probably can't change our doors unless we're talking about homesteading, um, but you could do um, a solid core door or door that kind of absorbs sound better than reflecting it. Um, or put things on the door that soak up noises, like maybe some types of wreaths do that, or tapestries, um, you could hang tapestries or art, um, fabric decorations, all of those things are helpful for soaking up noise. You can soundproof the floor. So uh, I know you, you may have seen the tennis balls on chairs in classrooms. Maybe it's to help prevent scraping up the floors, but it also really helps to prevent noise from entering uh, that space as well, because the, the chairs no longer make the scratchy sound when it's scraping across the floor because you have the soft tennis ball on there. You could also cover the floor with mats, thick mats, carpets, foam mats um, to absorb shock. Yeah, especially if kids are like jumping or thumping or doing anything like that. Uh, what else? You could offer cushions or mats or pillows or, or things that or non-toxic that can be in the room uh, to use to soak up sounds. And what else? Um, you Any fabrics, if you could wrap fabric around things, include more fabric-based things, those sometimes will help. Uh, you can actually buy acoustic panels, but they can be kind of expensive. You can certainly make your own. Having foam toys, or even considering the types of toys you have in a room or in a household, um, all those things will absorb sound even fish tanks can be really fun but be creative think about what what in the world or what can you purchase or what can you make or what can you create or buy or um, borrow that will soak in noise and even as I look around my space right now I'm like okay well the couch and the carpet's there that that soaks in noise the pillow um I've got this big huge glass window a lot of noise comes in there so I can put these plants by the window to soak in that and I can think about what I can hang on the walls to soak in uh, more sound as well. And what can I remove? Like what in here is just making sound bounce? So just some things to think about. All right, I'm not gonna go into any more. Um, in fact, <laughs> I created an entire course bundle on this um, topic, room design with the brain in mind. And it goes into all the different room design elements and talks about all of them and talks about what to do to 
work to address them and how it impacts the brain. It goes all into the brain. So, you know, in short, this is what I'm going to give you. If you want to dig into it deeper, uh, you can, and I will link below our, our courses, uh, especially the room design course, so that you can check that out. But that takes us to today's listener question. And it is, how do we deal with kids who have a burst of aggression? So my first thought is behavior stems from a need. Aggression stems from a need. What need is not getting met that's causing the aggression to get the need met? And if you haven't listened to our series on the five needs areas, I would go back and listen to that series because I talk about the five needs areas that cause behaviors. With this one, aggression typically relates to self-regulation needs. So I'm like, okay, they, they need to work on self-regulation. So what can I put in place to teach self-regulation? And there's a whole course on this as well, how to teach self-regulation, how the brain works in terms of self-regulation. And I use some pretty simple systems to teach this, but they are quick and easy and effective. But we just, we basically need to teach kids how to recognize that they are dysregulated or they're not self-regulated. And when they learn to do that, then we teach them ways to regulate themselves. Pretty straightforward. The other thing here too is those aggressive behaviors like hating and kicking and biting and whatever they may be, they are all impulsive and oftentimes unconscious behaviors. They are behaviors that the brain makes the body use to get a need met. So by using them and by continuing to use them, it means they have worked. And if they have worked and they have been continued to be used, then the brain is wired to do that without thinking too much. It's, it's just an impulsive, natural process. Um, to get a need met. So if we want to stop the aggression, we want to think about what would we rather the child do in that moment? What would be a more appropriate response? So for example, I had a child recently who was biting a lot. So what do we want the alternative to be? Well, we talked about, we could have him squeeze his hands, his fists, like he's squeezing lemons and squeezing the juice out of lemons, lemon squeezes, we call them. We want him to do that instead of the biting. So in order to get him to start doing that and stop biting. We've got to teach him this new strategy and we've got to kind of role play and role model how and when to use it. And then we've got to practice it over and over and over again, because only when the brain has practiced it multiple times, will that new behavior override the old behavior? Because right now the neural connection in favor of biting is stronger, but if we want the neural connection to be stronger in favor of pretending to squeeze lemons, we've got to practice that enough times so that the old connection kind of dies off and the new one gets really strong. So must teach, must practice over and over and over again as much as possible to have that new connection override the old one. All right, that takes us to wrapping up the show with our tried at home tip, which is meditation. And for those of you who have tried and failed, I have done the same. And I finally found something that really, really works for me. And this is not an ad that I probably should reach out to Insight Timer and <laughs> get a code for you all. But Insight Timer is a free app. There is a paid version of it, um, which you can opt into. But there is plenty of free content that you can use without paying for it. But with Insight Timer, what I love is you can filter by all kinds of things, time limit, um, whether it's like quiet meditations or music meditations or sound meditations or people speaking during the meditation. Um, 
and you can filter by the amount of time, one to five minutes, five to 10, an hour. There are series and courses and live groups and recorded groups, just about everything that you could possibly need around wanting to learn and getting better at meditating. In addition to all of that, it keeps track of, which I love because this is how I teach myself to, to make things habit. It's called don't break the chain. So it'll show you every day uh, that you've meditated. So if you meditate Monday, and you, you'll pop up at the end of the meditation, it'll pop up and it'll like show the Monday colored in. If you meditate on Tuesday, it'll show the Tuesday colored in. If you meditate on Wednesday, Wednesday gets colored in. If you meditate on Thursday, Thursday gets colored in. If you, med- if you don't meditate on Friday, you get a blank bubble there. It doesn't feel good to see that blank bubble, but it feels real good to see all those other bubbles connected. So you want to keep going without breaking the chain or breaking the day. Pretty awesome. Insight timer. It will teach you to meditate. It will help you to make it a habit. I highly encourage you to put that during a routine time, like maybe after brushing your teeth or during your morning cup of coffee or before you go to bed. So important for the brain. So, so, so important. Helps that wise owl, that thinking brain gets so much stronger, which is kind of the alternative, um, an alternate response to stress. That's what we need to do to combat stress. And that is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our try to home tip, which is meditation with Insight Timer. If you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, shoot me an email at the podcast at, sorry, podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or you can shoot me a text, 717-693-7744. And lock in what you learned today because I give you a lot of little facts and snippets by applying it right away. Here's an easy way to do that. Leave a comment below or a review with your greatest and biggest takeaway. And do not forget to subscribe so you can find and learn more ways to hack your brain. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thanks for joining me.